Oh, yeah. that, that was awesome. That just blew my mind, man. And I didn't think of that until just talking to you. So thanks to you, you you've sort of lit it up on my brain. That's all good. I, I guess you probably wouldn't mind me saying, Andy, we're just saying that we've both had a couple of both had a couple of down days and that you have been sort of taking things out of your life that you know affect your mood and you've kind of gotten to the point where it's like okay i've deleted tiktok i don't scroll in scream anymore i haven't been drinking much for six to 12 months like what else can i remove and discussing that sometimes you just have down days and sometimes there's things that happen in our bodies you know like chemical like imbalances like can naturally happen to people happens more to people with mental health issues but can just naturally you can sometimes just wake up and have a shitty day maybe you just didn't have the best sleep you might have had dreams that have been like subconsciously impacting you blah 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 but for me um what i found has been really helpful for me has been the meditation piece and it's because grounding myself to it's it's like a more it's like an anchor in in a world where you often feel like you're just kind of like zooming around and go 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 for me, when I meditate twice a day, it's like dropping an anchor and just settling back in to myself. And that really helps me remember that above all else, I'm a spiritual being and that's what's most important. And to me, that grounding back into a spiritual sense of self um, or like, I guess if, if we wanted to go deeper, like, like the lack of sense of self um, and the connectedness to, to everything um, makes me realize that all of the material stuff doesn't matter that much. And that stops me from stressing out about things that I don't need to stress out about. It stops me scrolling Instagram so much because I just don't really care about the material side of life. So for me, meditation definitely helps with having consistency of mood. I was like on YouTube the other day, yes, actually yesterday, and there was this like video. It was like, I tried psychedelics for the first time. And the guy was in Netherlands, he tried psychedelics and he talked about how after a few hours, he'd gone to this state where he sort of just sat down on the room, crossed his legs and was just like embracing the sunlight going through the windows. And there was this sort of like, not ego death, but his ego was gone where he was able to experience the sort of light as a kid again, like he felt like he was a kid and then and there was no responsibility and weight on his shoulders. And then listening to that, I was like, wow, like I do remember being a kid running around the house, cycling around the neighborhood with no worries at all, no worries about income, um, where I'm going to get dinner, where I'm going to get food because my parents, my mom sort of handled all those things. She took all the responsibilities off my shoulders and I was able to be a kid. And then when I was cycling around the neighborhood, I was, I was telling you earlier, I sort of try to get to that state. And I was just looking at the beautiful sunset, the beautiful sky. And I was like, wow, like this is really beautiful. But it was like beautiful because I was able to just let go of the mm. fact that I haven't planned tomorrow let go of the fact that i have meetings tomorrow let go of the fact that i have some meeting some work to clear up when i do get home let go of the fact that it's 7 p.m i have to go home and i have to get some work done that's a exactly. downside of going out but i just let that all go and i was able to really like feel like really happy and and like it was just like this weird pure happiness feeling and i'm trying to tap into that now as I'm sharing this story where I'm not thinking of what's to come for the rest of the day, what's yeah. the next week. And, and it's just bliss. That's that. I mean, you've, you've essentially just, you've essentially just like told everyone the entire secret to like living a spiritual enlightened life. It's, it's all about how you like, it makes me smile listening to you say that. Cause it's so funny. It, Cause that's all it is. It's, it's, I have a terrible memory and I'm actually really proud of having a terrible memory because I don't hold on to stuff. I don't know. I, like I don't, I probably don't think about the future anywhere near as much as I should. And hence I'm a 29 year old man with like, I have no idea like what I'm doing with my life because 
I don't think enough about the future and I don't think enough about the past. I, I have, but, but, but I find that whenever I'm worried or whenever I'm anxious or feeling depressed, I'm usually depressed because of something that has happened in the past. And I'm usually anxious because of something I'm worried about happening or not happening in the future. And that's, that's exactly what it is. And I'm rereading the power of now by Eckhart Tolle at the moment. And something that, in the chapter I literally listened to on Audible yesterday, it was about letting go of the past and the fu- and the future and just living in the present. And you've just enunciated perfectly what it means to have a moment of enlightenment. So that one moment where you were cycling around, you saw the sunset, you weren't thinking about the meetings you had, you weren't thinking about the job you had to do, you weren't thinking about like the, the weekend that was, you were just there appreciating the moment and in that moment, nothing else existed. All there was, was what was happening right then and there. And actually that's all that's ever happening. That's all you can ever, all you can ever do is live the moment that is currently happening. And if you need to, you can use that moment to plan, to look at your day tomorrow and say, okay, I'm going to spend five minutes now planning my day tomorrow. And you be present while you're doing that. And you feel the same bliss while you're planning your day tomorrow. But as soon as you finish planning your day tomorrow, let it go. See ya. It's done. Uh, you can sit there. You can spend a whole day planning your next 12 months of business. Like, what are you going to do with your business? What's your strategy for the next 12 months? Again, be entirely present in that planning process and you're going to enjoy it so much more. You're going to get so much more out of it. You're going to be way more creative in the way that you like build that strategy because creativity doesn't come from here. It comes from here. It comes from like being in tune with the present moment and just intuitively working your way through things. So it's learning how to use your mind as a tool and then putting it down when you don't need it rather than you, your mind using you as a tool for its own like ego manifestations or like whatever. It sounds a little bit loopy, but really it all just comes back to just being present in the moment, doing what you're doing with complete focus and presence of mind and not letting all of the bullshit from the future and the past like cloud that. Super cool. And then when you're talking about like the short-term memory thing, in that video he talked about how in the first sort of before he got into that blissful state, he went through the period where all these memories and thoughts were just rushing through his head and he was just writing everything down. He was writing everything down really quickly because he wasn't, he was scared to lose it. But then he realized that once he wrote everything down and he was able to just let go, that's when the blissful state occurred. And, and I do realize I do have those times of anxiety where I come up with an idea in the shower, I'm naked, um, the pen is in another room, and I'm, I'm just trying to keep that memory alive and, and I'm trying to keep remembering it so that after I turn off the shower, dry up, run into this office, write it down before I forget it. But that whole five-minute period i'm just in anxiety sure yeah what one i think i think there's two things there right the first thing is yeah so as soon as you come up with that idea before you can get pen to pad so that you don't forget it there's like a period of like oh my god i can't forget this and in that moment you're thinking about the future of needing to get the pen to pad i think one of the really cool lessons of that is also that like the way you came up with that idea was super organic. Like you were in the shower. You weren't trying to think of a cool business idea or, or like a strategy or a tactic for your business. You were just having a shower and it just popped up. That's when we have our best ideas. And I actually don't like, I think you've done exactly what you were supposed to do there. The pen wasn't there. Um, you needed to get to the pen. I think from there, if, if you wanted to, if you wanted to lower your anxiety at that point, I think remembering that you're only a couple of minutes away from a pen and and like and trusting yourself to be able to hold that thought about that idea for three or four minutes so that you can get to the pen would help alleviate the anxiety. But I think that what you've done in that state and that space is a really knack. Like, I mean, my problem is I wouldn't do that. My problem is I'd sit in the shower, I'd come up with a really cool idea. I'd be like, oh my God, light bulb. And then I wouldn't, I'd just feel like, I just, and then I'd be like, all right, I'm just going to continue having my shower, <laughs> keep having the shower. And by the time I get out of the shower, I'm like, fuck, what was that idea? <laughs> Damn it. Um, so I think like the way that you deal with that idea coming up 
is like really cool and i would actually just encourage you to, to try and like back yourself and remember like that you do have the process in place to remember what that idea is and get it to pen and paper no matter where you are no matter what you're doing and also like to just acknowledge the creativity that comes up just in a period of like i, I would argue that when you were showering all you were thinking about was showering and then out of like where do good ideas come from sometimes yeah they they do come from an idea brainstorming session, but the best idea brainstorming sessions also happen when you're in free flow, you know? Very, very true. Like I've been sort of doing this thing where I've been like subconsciously implanting things into my brain. Like for example, I want to figure out how to hire good salespeople. So just think of that. And then when I'm a child, I just think of that. And then randomly throughout the day, the solution to what I'm thinking pops up. And I think that's something that people don't do enough where when they have a problem, they just leave it as a problem. They don't think about what's a possible solution. And if they can't think of a solution, they just give up then and there. But I sort of just think of the problem over time. And usually I always come up with a solution. And the solution may or may not work. It may come in one day. It might come in seven-day time. But we're just implanting all these problems. And, And I got this from my friend who was... I was asking him an advice about business and stuff. And it was like, Hey, Andy, like you sort of do consulting as a, as, as a job, like you help people with their problems. Why don't you just consult yourself? And for some reason, I never thought of it. Like it was so simple. I never thought of it like that. And all of a sudden I just started consulting myself being like, okay, if I was a, a, a client that had the same problem, what advice would I give to that client? And all of a sudden, things just like went uphill. You, you totally hacked yourself. <laughs> it's um, it's definitely, I, I think that, and I think that what's important there is that you, when you consult, you've created a process that allows yourself to think both logically and laterally. And that's, important because what what i was gonna what i was gonna say next is because it 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 is cool when ideas just come to you like a flash it's happened to me i i i write poetry and i had a like i've just started a little poetry business and part of that is a the writing poems for corporate clients so you know i've got like this first client that i was writing for and she wanted me to write a poem about her wine and so I, i had no idea what the poem was going to be about but i'd asked the questions i understood like a couple of the kind of brand guidelines that i sort of had to write to i understood the brief and i was meditating one day and the the first two lines of the poem just popped into my head and that was one of the times that i was like i was kind of like you i was like oh my god like i had the first lines and then i sort of came up with the first like paragraph and I was like, I cannot forget this. So as soon as I finished my meditation, I went straight to my, my phone and I typed in like that. And then from there, the whole poem just sort of unraveled. And sometimes that happens. But sometimes when you're in a pressure situation, like when you're consulting, you you need to come up with a process that helps you be creative sort of on the spot a little bit. And one of the things that I've found works there is the idea of trawling rather than catching fish. So when you trawl, you're just getting thousands of thousands of fish. Fishing, you're just trying to pluck out like the perfect fish, right? And when you trawl, you just come up with as many bad ideas as you can. Like every single thought that comes into your head is an idea. You just write it down, write it down, write it down, write it down, write it down. And eventually the thought process that you're taking through all these bad ideas will either be like so bad or so funny that you stop thinking so much. And then all of a sudden, like the good ideas will start naturally sort of coming. That was something that is like kind of irrelevant to what you just said, but I was thinking about it. So I said it Um, with the consulting yourself. I'm actually really curious to know when you, how was that process the first time you tried it? So from consulting other people, because it's the same thing, people, it's same with relationship advice, right? No one knows what to do when they're in a relationship and they hit it like a weird spot. And then you ask your friends and your friends give you the perfect answer and you realize that's exactly what you would have said to anyone else as well, but you just can't seem to give yourself that advice. When you, the first time you ever consulted yourself, like what did that, what did that feel like? I think 
I sort of did a thing where I was like talking to myself on camera. So I was just recording myself or I was like, I, I split myself into two parts. I don't That would be a cool part. podcast episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, I split myself into two parts and I put myself in one side where I was like, okay, so right now I'm trying to find a solid appointment setup. Um, I've tried a bunch of things I've hired from the Philippines. I'm looking at sort of sales groups where there's people who would do commission only sales, but I haven't been able to find someone that is like the right fit. Okay. Now I jump on the other seat. Okay. So I think right now I've tried hiring from the Philippines and the appointment setters there aren't sort of what I'm looking for. I haven't personally tried hiring on Facebook groups personally. On Facebook groups, I've hired salespeople and that didn't work out, but maybe appointment setters would work out. So maybe what I need to do now is try put up a job listing on these Facebook groups for appointment setters, see what I catch and see if there's any good appointment setters in these Facebook groups. Mm. Now, if that doesn't work, then the next phase is to go through sort of my network, search up, and talk to people um, who are doing what I'm doing and they have salespeople and see where they get their salespeople and ask for advice and, and try what they sort of suggest. So all of a sudden, now taking a step back, I actually didn't know what I was like. That's a problem I'm dealing with currently, but I didn't know the solution to it. So now I know my next steps. Uh, I just built it out with you live and I should be doing this more often, but it's a bit tiring sort of playing two characters. I think you've, you've also decided to have this conversation with the right person as well because sales is, is kind of what I do and sales processes is, is what I do. But so, so the other question I would ask you is when you're looking for an appointment setter, what are the, what are the traits and what are the, I guess, like what, what is the role description of an appointment setter and what are the traits that, you require from them and that helps you get a better understanding of what you're going to be looking for when you are going to your network, you are going to the Facebook groups. The second thing I would say then is think about what you can do to make that process easier or help like the process of the appointment setting easier for that person such that it widens the range of people that you can hire. So for instance, I hired an appointment setter um, when I was working with my last startup and, but, but what I had done was I had gone through the process myself, like thousands of times. And I'd sort of tweaked the copy that I was using to message people on LinkedIn and things like that, such that when I hired an appointment setter, I already had all the copy for them. I actually literally gave them my LinkedIn details. So I, they, it was coming from the pitch was coming from me um, to, to the people I wanted to pitch to because I, you know, I had the LinkedIn profile, like VP of growth, blah, blah, blah. So like it looked better coming from me. So essentially then all I needed was someone who was trustworthy to get through the amount of volume that I needed to get through to then be able to produce the leads that I needed them to produce. And it was less about them having to know specific sales skills and stuff because I knew that whoever I hired as an appointment setter, I was going to be, I was going to know how to do that stuff better. So I thought, okay, why don't I do that myself such that when I'm looking for an appointment setter, it's not so much the quality of their, like what they're able to do. I can actually go and find someone who wants to learn how to do this stuff, show them how I've done it. So they're learning something and it widens the net of the people that, I can hire because I don't need to find like a specifically sort of perfect, um, you know, salesperson. So, so little, little things like, so little things I, I would be looking, I'd be looking into what are the sort of traits, the person, like the personality that you're looking for and also the, like the, the clear JD and then looking at the JD you've written and said, okay, is there something that I can take off this job description because I can do it and I can automate it for them such that, they have such that it's 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 not it's not to make their job easier it's to widen the available net of people that could perform that role now my sort of current bottleneck is with the appointment setting sort of like cold calling but it's on the phone but it's warm leads people who are interested so they're like hey my name's andy um do you recall putting your details down to learn about e-commerce and drop shipping Mm -hmm. yes no and and I found that a lot of the appointment setters 
they just sound untrustworthy, that they just didn't sound sure. And to be like me or you, like if someone's able to conversate, be able to um, answer certain objections and just be like a cool general person, mm. most of those people are one, they're scarce. Two, they're usually already doing their own thing. <laughs> yeah. Three, if they do do sales, they're going to be really expensive. Everyone else is just like, you know, the everyday, uh, I don't know, boring person. I would write those things down. I would write those three things down. Or like if you've already got them in your head, because I think that it's important to also know the challenges to who you to, to why you're struggling to get, why you're struggling to get someone. But yeah, no, I totally get it. It is very different when you're talking warmly. So, so is the process they've come in cold, they're now, they're, no, they've, are they an inbound lead? Like they've come, they've come to you from like different sources. So you already know they're interested. So it'll be like a Facebook ad. They'll be like, yep. "Hey guys, if you want to learn how to start your own online business, swipe up." They'll put your details below. They put yep. in their first name, last name, email, phone number. Um, they then are put into our email flow. They also get sent to like another longer video where they can learn more about us. Mm-hmm. So they're showing intent. Sure. Sure. What um, I think like an interesting, an interesting consideration that may, may not work for you, but could be an interesting way to think about this is that when someone's put in a name, phone number, email, they've shown intent, but what, I mean, and, and like from those leads that come through, if you're going to manage those leads from start to finish, what is your conversion rate to pull them through into a paid, paid subscriber or like a paid customer? When I personally do the appointment setting, every hour I'll probably get one qualified booking. And within that hour, I might call maybe 60 phone numbers. And from the 60, I might get one booking. Um, And obviously that list of 60, I could go through that again the next day, again and again and again, Mm. uh, because people don't pick up. People don't pick up, yeah. Um, So I get one booking. And usually with the bookings, roughly around 60% of people show up to the actual call. Mm-hmm. And out of the 60% of people that shop, roughly 50% qualify if I'm the person sort of, sort of selling them. Um, yeah. So is that's it, the process. Is it worth having like a pre-qual process, like pre-qual stage of the process whereby you kind of saying, okay, so people have shown intent, but with my time, I need to focus on a lead who maybe has shown a bit more than intent. So could there be a middle step here where there's a bit less requirement to actually sell on the appointment setter's behalf? And there, so, so basically, because there's so many people that aren't picking up the phone, there's so many people that might just pop in their details and then go, oh, actually, you know, I'm, you know, maybe not super, super keen. So could there be a filtering process between giving details and between you picking up the phone where the appointment setter. So, so, okay, here's, here's a bit of a, here's a bit of an insight. So my sister works for a, um, my sister works for a bank, uh, works in like mortgage, like mortgage home loans and things like that. What they do is they have someone exactly like this working in um, somewhere like the Philippines or something like that, where it's a pre-qualification process. So they're basically gone, okay, we've got your details this person is now calling them up purely only to ask them a series of questions. You can design that questionnaire however you want. Ideally, you're designing that questionnaire to get, one, more information, and two, drive more demand. So the way you ask the questions creates more um, intent and, and I guess, brand uh, value for your brand in the eyes of the customer. So it's kind of like a it's a survey, it's a questionnaire, it's compiling, yep, question. And then with those mortgage, like, if, hey, I'm looking for a mortgage and then I get this call from this person from the Philippines, are they going to just, like, are most people already losing trust right off the bat, like right off the gate with this bank or, like, wanting to hang up? Hey, I'm busy. That is something, okay, so that is something I'd have to, I know, okay, so I know two people in mortgage broking. One of them is a very, um, they, like, basically give loans out to people that really need the money um so those though i think they use the filipino organizer like they use a bpo in the philippines to manage that obviously those people really want money so their kind of like need for the product is is really high so they'll stay on 
now that you've brought this up, it's a really good question. Maybe the prequel is done elsewhere um, for my sister's bank because it's like a proper, like a proper sort of bank. It's not just a mortgage lending company. So, so yeah, no, you could be right in that there there may be a loss of trust once they hear someone picking up in the Philippines. Um, to answer your previous question, yeah, um, about the filter. So what the current traditional route, which is a bit saturated, is people who are interested, they watch this sort of BSL, this sort of 30-minute, 40-minute video on what they have to offer. And then if they're interested, they can book in a call directly to the salespeople. And then the booking would be like 10 questions. Name, why you're interested, what your income is. Ah. Really long. And... The pro, like the pros is you don't need an appointment setter at all. It just goes straight to the salespeople. Now the con is one, now your lead goes from $5 a phone number to like $100 per booking. Two, you have a much smaller list. Yes, it's more qualified, uh, but it's much smaller and you can't really go through it again and again. Um, three... If you have someone not show up, so if you have a 50% show up rate, that means you've lost, you know, every second person, you've lost $100 for that lead. So their, like, show up rate is also really, really difficult because they haven't talked to anyone. They just watched the video, filled out this 10-question thing, and there's a good chance they may not even show up. Now, that's sort of what everyone's doing, and I guess I've tried to do that, but it's really, really hard to get something to work when everyone else is doing it out there. So I've tried to take a different approach and I don't know if I'm forcing this different approach to work or, well, technically I've personally done my appointment setting sales. I've personally done it and it works. Yeah. I guess the concept is proven. It's like, how can I get someone to copy me? Um, and, and I really like this because it's like not many people are doing this weird appointment setting and then but then it is a bit longer and not um orthodox but it gives you more chance of closing the lead because you're getting you're getting them on the phone with someone sooner so the problem for you is not that you need to qualify them more the problem because because that's actually the strategy you're taking the strategy or the gamble you're taking is that you're a better chance of qualifying them and getting a sale by getting on the phone to them sooner the problem is it's just so hard to find someone to get on the phone that's like good at like that's that's good at doing the job of converting the lead because essentially what you you need if you let's say you're working with that five to a hundred dollar ratio you actually you, you could you could afford to lose eighty percent more leads at those two rates and still close at a lower um, like CPA than yeah, like a lower CPA if you're picking up the phone earlier and you've proven that you can actually do it because you've done it. The answer, the question, the answer to the question is just how do you, yeah, so it's exactly, I mean, we've gone full circle, but I've got so much more context now. We've fleshed out a few things, but it is that it's so hard to find someone that is going to do as good a job as you. I mean, unless you want to like, I mean, the first idea I come to is like, you know, kind of pull out the checkbook and like, you know, give him some equity, like make it, make it theirs. Like if, if you really wanted someone who is good, then you're looking to like incentivize them long-term to be a part of the business. Um, but even still, like it can be hard to find the right fit. It's like, it's definitely, it's definitely really hard to find good salespeople. Like it's, cause it's not easy sales. It's not easy, you know? Most definitely. And then I think just talking back and forth, I think like you're basically like a consultant, Mike, but I think it's hard to like put yourself as like a third party. Like if you really like somehow like separated yourself and looked at your own situation, I wouldn't be surprised if you gave yourself some really good advice. Yeah, I, I, I most likely would. I, yeah, I mean, I think the problem... The problem for me has never been a lack of ideas or a lack of 
intelligence. It's always been, um, you know, like I, like I don't mean that in like a, I don't mean that in a way of kind of ego. Like I, like I'm, I'm really clear. Like there's a couple of things that I'm that I'm good at, and there's I'm really clear. There's some things I'm like exceptionally bad at, and like one thing, like I was born with was like a bit of a brain. Like I'm not stupid, but I was. Like, so for me, it's self-belief and it's the ability to be consistent and sort of not give up when the going gets tough. Um, and and that's where that's where it can get challenging for me because once I start to get into a bit of a negative headspace, I then lose the ability to think really critically and and stuff like that. So it's it's not yeah, I'm I'm well aware where my um where my where my strengths lie and I'm also well aware of like why I still manage to fall over sometimes and it's been like a real work in progress after the last 10 years to get better and better at sort of pushing through those tough periods and then sort of came to <laughs> the last startup I was working on and sort of just copped an absolute nightmare for two years that has felt like it's put me back at square one like I'm I'm sort of back at the, I'm back at the, the the lack of belief struggle street that I've worked really hard to get away from, and now I'm sort of like just trying to build back up from square one in terms of that. For me, every for me everything is is sort of mental. For me, everything is is um is is having belief in myself, and I think that maybe means I shouldn't be an entrepreneur, but I can't really let go of it because I just. Like I don't think I can sit in one place and work a job, you know. Like I like I need the freedom to travel. And we were talking about this the other night. <laughs> yeah, there's two things. Like I definitely want to jump into that mindset thing. But one thing about you that gave me just like a breath of fresh air was I don't know. Even this time over the last few years, like anytime I met with someone, I might wait like like a few hours or a day to get a response. But I'm messaging you, you're like getting back. I can tell the energy in the text and there's like text back, but there's this no ego thing. Whereas I feel like every other person, I'm texting them and then I could tell they're online, but they're trying to like show that they're busy and I might get a response a few hours later. And you don't have this ego. Like even uh, I just finished my day early and I was like, hey, um, Mike, are you any chance free? early and we can jump on this call early and you're like yeah man i'm ready to go and it was just such a breath of fresh air because everyone else is doing the opposite they're like no i actually have some meetings let's stick to our scheduled time um and, and that's something i really like about you right off the gate it just i mean it's funny when you say that because it makes me feel like sometimes i need to be like because that's what everyone gets taught everyone gets it's like the whole how to win friends and influence people slash, you know, all these self-help books teaching you, you know, how to like, you know, how to be more valuable and influential. And I just, I don't like, I like, I don't really, I just don't subscribe to that, man. I, I think it's way more important. And I think at the end of the day, despite what the remaining ego that I have says and wants to be successful and wants to be like, you know, wants to do a Ted talk one day and wants to be a published poet and all this stuff that I like dearly want. I can't at the end of the day, sit here and tell you that it's more valuable to me than just being like a human being in this world that has like good relationships with people and supports people and cares about people. And, and is a part of, like, I just, I don't, I don't want to think that strategically about how I deal with people, if that makes sense. I, I just want to, I just want to like flow and and enjoy the company that I have. And and yeah, man, I, like I like I'd, I don't know, like it's I just don't. It's probably a bit of a problem for me because I am good at sales and I am good at networking, and this is kind of the this is sort of my my sweet spot but I don't play the game the right way, but maybe, I don't know, maybe that's also why I'm good at, why I'm good at it. Um, but there's different ways to imprint value into your, into the way people see you as well. Like it doesn't need to be from creating this bullshit idea. Of you have a busy life and like the best way to be valuable is to be valuable, not to pretend you're being valuable, you know, the best way to be influential is to be influential and not pretend you're influential. And I don't want, 
people to think I'm influential and valuable if I'm not. Like if I've got nothing to if I've got nothing to give or nothing to add, I don't I don't want like it would be a waste of my time and your time for me to pretend that I have something that I'm not. Like we're here speaking right now because we connected on an authentic in an authentic way and not because of any bullshit. And that would just like bullshit is a waste of time, man. I'm gonna die one day. I got no time sitting here for an hour with someone trying to make them do something like that. I, I, I don't know. Like I just I don't have time for that sort of interaction. It's not worth it. Like we're only here once. I don't know. I totally agree. Cause like over the last like two to three years, I've been like trying to figure it out. Where like I'm this person who's just like you know I'm always gonna reply to everyone. Like I am a really busy person and I have priorities and I have much more valuable things to do but um i'm always replying to friends i'm always giving value i'm always like freaking triple texting with just like whatever value that i can offer and people it definitely goes the wrong way where now people think that you know they can freaking just call me at nine but like hey do you want to go get dinner now um and, and sometimes i might say yes because i'm free yeah and then all of a sudden like i think the people who then sort of take advantage of it. I don't know how to like phrase this weird thing where I get this vibe where like all of a sudden they now think that at first there was like this level of respect, but since I've been so nice, now they think they're equal and then that's fine. And then, and then my sort of value keeps going down as I keep being nicer and nicer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then my answer to that has been like, okay, that's like a natural filter. I'm going to keep being me and it's going to naturally filter out all these people. But what stays is what's going to be like, I'm going to be able to attract the best of the best people just by doing what I do. And I'm going to definitely filter out a lot of the sort of, you know, they might make six figures, you know, multi six figures and I might filter those people out, but I'm able to attract the best. And, and I want that. That, and that's that's your challenge. Your challenge, when, when you decide to be really open with people, your challenge is then to decide which, like, because you'd probably filter out, I would say, like a large, in the end, like a large percentage of those people. Like we're talking, I would assume like somewhere like the 80%, you know, like you'd filter, like over time, 80% of people would sort of show you that they're not someone worth investing. Because that's like, the thing is time is is valuable and time is time is actually the only thing that's valuable when you it's the only thing you can't get back like it's it's the only thing that every single second like every single unit of time you spend you can't make it back you can't get it again um and so it's really important that you spend it well and i think when you are busy and when you have got a lot going on it is important to get really laser focused on who and what you want to spend that time on. That's something that that's something that I'm much more focused on in what do I like like I've said to you, like I said to you when we came on, I'm gonna do a period of of not drinking as well. And it's not because I don't like going out with friends and having fun, but at this stage in my life, it's not what I want to spend my time on. I want to get really laser focused on building whatever it is that I'm gonna build. Um and, and focusing on the new job that I'm taking and and yeah I, I like I have some things that I want to get to in the future and the challenge for me at the moment is not to worry about the future too much because that's probably part of what I've been worrying about that I feel like I'm a long way away from how I want to be living and where I want to be and trying to just keep it in the present moment and doing the things I need to do on a day-by-day basis to eventually get there. But it has been proving challenging, which is why I've had a couple of like stressful days because I don't feel like I'm where I'm at, where I want to be at the moment. Yeah, I definitely go through these periods where I'm like, am I sort of able to achieve the goals I'm setting? Should I like, I get into this post like, I can sort of just settle and, and just right now I'm doing pretty well and just rather than worrying about scaling, just worry about just automating what I currently do and just, just settle uh, because that's so much easier. But then I'm, I'm always sort of, I have all these goals and then I'm always thinking of them. I'm always wanting to make the most out of this one life I have where I'm like 
Like to get there, I have to be like, I'm behind. I'm behind on schedule if I want to get to where I want to be. And it adds this unnecessary sort of push, this unnecessary sort of urgency and scarcity. Where I'm like, is this what life is supposed to be? Is life supposed to be like you're constantly sprinting throughout life to make the most out of it? But then if I sort of just take it chill and easy, yes, I'm probably going to live a pretty cool life, but I want to be the best. But then to be the best, life is going to feel shit. Or is there a way to strive to be the best but be happy at the same time? I mean, yes, I think there is, but I have not figured it out yet. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to work on figuring it out. Another thing I've been doing is when I'm not happy, like people like, like, the reaction I get is always like, dude, that's impossible. I want to work on figuring out how I can be happy or content or present every single day. Now people are like, no, that's impossible. There's going to be ups and downs. But if I work on it, I'm going to get closer to whatever's what the peak is. And I think the people don't even like the fact I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to be more happy every single day that's a much better approach and you're going to get closer to the answer to life is a bunch of ups and downs. You know, it's, that's impossible. It's, I mean, okay. I've got a book recommendation for you for a start. It's called the surrender experiment by a guy named Mickey Singer. Um, closest explanation of how to strive to be the best that you can whilst being happy and content um phenomenal book i'm actually sort of going through i'm reading the power of now at the moment but i've I've sort of been going through my second read through of the surrender experiment as well and it's a story of a guy who through kind of just going with the flow of life became one of the first tech like he ran like he basically was the first person in like the eighties who delivered a tech solution to the medical industry that helped them, um, you know, store patient data and stuff like that. At least in the eighties, it was like a $300 million company. And he started that company out of an ashram that he accidentally built without meaning to in the middle of the forests in Florida. And then he picked up a computer one day and realized that he loved it and started just learning how to code. Like he basically just lived on, he, he, he understood the concept of surrender and he said, I will just do what life throws at me. What life gives me, he will use as his way of becoming spiritually enlightened. And I think that's the, the key is that he turned his life into, he turned his life into a, vehicle for spiritual growth but then through that spiritual growth he was just naturally good at business and he was just naturally good at certain things that he then sort of like he just sort of like snaked his way through this 300 million dollar companies really and, and then from there nearly loses it all and and it's it's a really really powerful story and it's, I'll read it. No spoilers. No, no yeah, spoilers. no, 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 no. I'll, I'll leave it there. But it's um, it's it's really good, and I think that the second thing that I thought of is the idea of wanting to be the best versus the idea of wanting to fulfill your potential. There's a difference because best is competition with other people, and therefore it puts an external pressure on it. Fulfilling your potential can be still a pressure. But if you make it clear that like fulfilling your potential is also about being happy and slowing down a little bit sometimes, like that when you're fulfilling your potential, you get to define what that looks like. Whereas to be the best, already by saying you're the best, you're comparing what best is to, to something outside of yourself. So keeping it really internally guided and saying you want to fulfill your potential it allows you to decide what that is. And part of that is going to be being happy. Part of that is going to be slowing down, smelling the roses a little bit. So it's it's that with a combination of stuff I talked about before, which is 
sort of realizing that you, you don't like once you sort of set, okay, this is what my potential for the next 12 months looks like. This is where I want to be in five years or 10 years. Set that goal, reverse engineer it down to what you can do each and every day to get there and then just do it and don't think about the end goal. If you, The more you think about that end goal, the more you're projecting future onto your present. So like set the goal, move back through, get to what you need to do that day, do it with full presence. And like theoretically, theoretically like that should make you happy, but I'm not, I know the theory here, but it is in practice harder to, to sort of do because it's so hard to not worry about the future. It's so hard to not want to pull yourself forward. It feels like sometimes you need that, you need the fear of failure to push you forward instead of the, you know, climbing up through like the inspiration of success or like being yourself or something like that. And then I like, the two things that came to mind when you said that, um, man, we could talk for hours. Um, the first thing was, you're right. Like if I were to surrender, like I already have all the tools and resources in my mind where all the problems I'm gone through, I can solve them pretty quickly, but it's the fact that I'm not surrendering the fact that I am trying to, control my life the fact that i am going through the ups and downs and if all that was gone and, and i just surrendered to life i'd be able to just knock every single problem down like with ease and i'll be able to just like reach my fullest potential really really quickly so that's definitely something i need to work on surrendering that book yeah read it yeah. read it <laughs> And then the second thing was, I think I need to work on sort of my why and my ego and, and figure that out because like, I don't know why, like, why do I want to be the best? Well, I guess I want to make the most out of my one life, but then as you're right, like being the best means you're being better than other people and that adds in competition. But if I'm wanting to just make the most out of the one life I have, that should not matter. It's very different. Being the best and making the most out of your one life, they are very, like, you're, you're making, you're saying that for you to make the most out of your one life, you have to be the best. But maybe, maybe, maybe actually, maybe that's not what your best life looks like because your best life, if that is to be the best, then you're going to have to get very tunnel vision for a long time about one thing to be able to be the best at it. And you've got to ignore a lot of other different things, which means you're probably not going to live your best life because you've just been too like, okay, like you could maybe earn 10 million. Let, let's say you can earn $10 million a year by being the best at what you do. What if you could earn a million dollars a year by being in the top 2% and not putting in that extra 10 hours a week or like whatever that looks like. The, the difference between the best and very, very good gives you the work. Like, like it's about designing your life. Like it's not a, like I don't need to put figures in your head or anything like that because one to 10 million sounds like a big difference. Like, but it's, it's about designing your life and being really intentional about all the things you want, you know? living your life to its fullest potential and being the best. Like, I, yeah, I just think it's important to say two very different things. I don't know if it's ego where like, you know, 10 million a year, like if, if that's sort of what I ended up with, I would be like, oh man, like that, that's, well, in my eyes, like that's like that I uh, could have done so much more. There's people that are billionaires. 10 exactly. <laughs> but then, okay. If I go down that route, it's like, you know, the only reason why I'd like to do 10 million is then I'll be able to like freaking get private jets, fly to cool places, get jump on helicopters, meet awesome people and, and travel the world. There's no need to make more than 10 million in that case, if that's what I want. But then I also know that when I travel after seven days straight, I sort of crave to get back into business and start building something up. So maybe it's, and answer what you talked about surrender, maybe the answer is figuring out a balance where I am traveling and doing what I love, but then that brings me back to wanting to build this business that I want to build, but I'll be in a much more surrendered state where I'll be able to build that business really, really fast. 
And who knows, I, I might end up being a multi-billionaire by the time I'm 90, just because, yeah. and I'm doing both. Um, yeah, I don't know, like, uh, it's cool. Like I'm getting closer to figuring out the answer with this conversation. So I really appreciate it, Mike. Surrender, and, and, and the, the beautiful but scary thing about surrender is that you have to be okay with it. Like when you surrender, you're surrendering to the idea that you're surrendering such that you can live your life to the fullest potential. But you have to be ready to say, you know what? If I make a dollar or if I make $2 billion, I surrender. Like, I, like, and that, but, but, but then, but then it's like the belief and the knowledge that like, if you do surrender, if you let life guide you, you're not going to get led astray. And that's not because the universe is out for like, that's not like some woo woo thing. It's just that when you surrender and you live in life's flow, you're going with the current. When you go with the current and you've got your skills and your talents and you're putting your skills, talents and personality towards something that is in the same flow as where life seems to be directing you, there's you're going to do 10x of what you were going to do trying to fight the current. You know, so that's something I'm thinking about at the moment. I've got this little like poetry thing that I'm doing and it's like, it's not working. I can try a few different things. And yes, I think it's worth trying a few different things. But at the end of the day, if it's not working, just because it's my little baby and it's this new thing that I'm trying to do, it doesn't mean I'm, I should beat a stick over my head trying to make it work if it's not going to work. Like, no, like sometimes pivot, like find where, find like the pivot where like life is is gushing along with you and just go with it, you know, and then just let go. Like once you're in life's flow, as long as you apply yourself, this guy told me one day, like 10 years ago, he said there's three rules to life, Michael. First, turn up. Second, do your best. Three, let go of the outcome. Life in three steps. It literally is life in three steps. Like turn up. So show up, get out of bed, put yourself in positions to make, to have opportunities happen. Second, do your best. Apply yourself to the best of your possible, the best you can possibly can. Educate yourself. Do the best work you can. Put like 100% effort into everything that you do. Be nice to people. Like turn up in every way you can. Three, let go of the outcome. Let go of what you can't control. Like and letting go is the part that puts you in life's flow. But the turning up and doing your best is what allows you to go with life's flow and really like push it through. I just... I couldn't believe it when he said it. it's like turn up, do your best, let go of the. It's literally life in ten words. I couldn't believe it. Man, that made so much sense. Like, because <laughs> uh, I've been really getting close to like I've been on that journey of figuring out who I am as a person, mm. and just leaning into myself. Why I like to do what I don't like to do. Um, what state allows me to not lose the most amount of energy. Um, and, and I'm trying to be the, my, my unique individual self, the one in 8 billion. And what I haven't been thinking of thinking until talking to you is maybe I also need to find out my unique path, my unique life's journey. Because this whole time I've been sort of fighting and trying to jump on different currents because I want to sort of be like Elon Musk. And it's, it's weird because I know that I should not try to be funny. I should not try to be cool. Like I should not try to be like um, Paul Walker, Leonardo DiCaprio, um, Timothy Chalamet, like they're, cool because they're themselves and if i try to take on their sort of charming qualities i'm just going to burn out i'm just going to get exhausted and if i just keep being me i'm going to sort of become my own i'm going to become andy mine yeah i haven't thought of that with my life's journey and it's ironic that i've been trying to have this cool crazy elon musk type lifestyle despite me trying to figure out myself so I think figuring out myself and figuring out my life's journey, that's something now I'm like, wow, this is something I need to figure out thanks to you. I don't know. Like it doesn't mean you're never going to have like, you're never going to have the rock star lifestyle. It doesn't mean you're never going to be this or never going to be that. It just means that you're going to be you and the life that you, 
the life that you weave yourself like for yourself over time is going to be your life and it's going to be what makes you happiest because how could it not be because you and your most authentic self have built it you know i think what i just sort of came to realize is going with the flow on a small current but it's your own current is much much better than trying to jump into a different current that's much faster, much bigger. And all of a sudden you're like never in sync with the current and you're constantly getting exhausted. Yes, you might be able to go further and have this more, make more money and have more cool things and have more cool experiences, but you're just constantly tired. Yeah. Yeah. But, but maybe also if the current is going the same way you want to go, but it's a bit too quick for you, Maybe the maybe the answer is okay. I'm going to jump on that client for six months or two weeks to do a sprint, and then I'm going to jump back off. The problem is that people jump on that really fast current. They get over-identified with the ego of wanting more, 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 and then they can't get off, and then they burn out. So it's like, yeah, like jump, jump on that current, or like maybe you're on your own current. Just get an oar, start rowing faster. Like you can, you, you've got the decision and the choice to like push harder if you want to. But knowing who you are first is really important and why you're doing it and why you're getting onto the currents. And it's really important to know that like, and to also understand when you're going against the current is, is just, is, is, is really, really important. Like life, it's important to feel like you're in, you're in a flow with life. So for instance, my argument to you would be that if you feel like you're working, overworking yourself and you can't stop and you're going really, really hard and you're getting really tired, and it's starting to burn you out. My thing would be that maybe what you're trying to do that with might not be something that totally aligns with your values. Because if you wake up every day and you're doing something that aligns with the values, as long as you're not working like you know stupid 15-hour days, like you shouldn't like that that purpose-driven the why should keep you kind of should keep you kind of going. And maybe some days it won't. Like that's listening to your body and understanding 15 hour days like 50 i don't know man i used to, I, i've done 20 hour days before weeks and weeks straight and i don't know how i did it i feel like i'm getting old but i don't know how i did it but yeah it's it's really about understanding who you are and what you want and then tailoring your life towards that and and then remembering to just surrender and let life kind of do its thing a little bit too and hopefully this is, I'm just going to be optimistic. Hopefully if I'm able to truly, truly surrender and stay on my own path and do it at like a sustainable rate and, and really just be that unique, like this is my own current, it would lead to be a really fruitful life and and i would not be shocked to have ended up being one of the most successful people in the world now i, don't, I hate saying that because it just sounds so egotistical yeah but, but and then I th- at the same time i have to surrender and be like okay if i really truly surrender i should not be thinking about the outcome i should not be like if that doesn't happen that's okay um and, and that's a bit harder to admit like it's, it it's is. harder for me to surrender to think that, okay, all these goals I've set out might not happen if I surrender. It is for you now. What you'll find though is if you truly practice, like you could literally say, I'm going to surrender, start meditating, realize that actually what you want to do is go and live in India in an ashram for three years and like get really yeah. enlightened like somewhere along that process of surrender, you'll realize that you've already got the greatest gift and actually all of this stuff doesn't matter as much as you think it does, but it's okay that you still feel like that because you've only just come up with this concept in your head. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of kind of work. So I would call this spiritual work to be honest with you. There's a lot of spiritual work to be done to get to a point where, I mean, I've, been meditating for a long time and i still get caught up in i've literally the last two days i've 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 been in a really bad headspace because i don't feel like my material life is going 
where I want it to go right now. And that is challenging for me, like, because I want to get to some place as well. But what I've realized since, like, I spoke to a couple of people, like, in my spiritual circles yesterday, what I've realized is that actually the answer to what I'm, what I'm going through right now is, is, is just to let go and is just to surrender and reprioritize my spiritual life. Because as soon as I do that, as soon as I make my spiritual life my priority, everything else just seems to fall into place and I just become happier. And at the end of the day, once you truly feel happy and you realize that your happiness is not coming from how much money you're making or being the best or this and that, you actually realize that being like, once you really have that real happiness and you realize you haven't had to do anything for it, can you, can you, can you picture the freedom that's in that? Life becomes a game, man. It becomes a game because you, you're already happy. Like you've already, like when I'm in that real spiritual flow, nothing anyone or anything can give me can take that away. Like like well, like yeah, things can take it away. But when I'm when I sit in that core, nothing outside of me is worth even like a dime, even a dime to like what I have in here. And so like everything's pennies on the dollar compared to what I have in here. So it makes life feel like a game because it doesn't really matter what happens out here. I can go and become a comedian. I can write all I want. Like it, it honestly just, sometimes I feel like I should just like pack a bag and just start walking. Knows where I end up and just make life just a total adventure and not worry about the money and worry about being anyone. Because at the end of the day, like what I have in here is everything else pales in comparison. And when you get to that point and you realize that, it doesn't mean you need to stop doing anything. It doesn't mean you need to stop building your business and stuff. It just means you're building your businesses to have fun. You're doing whatever in your life is fun rather than what you feel like you need to do to be happy, you know? Does that make sense? It totally does. And, and, and I just, so another light bulb moment I just had, which is crazy, I'm having so many light bulb moments, <laughs> is that, I was listening to Tim Ferriss and he talks about how meditation, you know, people always, their mind wanders, but that's actually a good thing because every time your mind wanders and you bring it back to center, that's when a repetition occurs. Exactly. And people think, okay, the, the length of me staying present is the repetition. No, it's the opposite. It's the amount of times you're pulling back to the present. And then, so what you just went through over the last two, three days where your life got out of balance, but you've been able to realign it back to your spiritual self, that's a repetition that just occurred. Exactly. Yeah. I'm noticing. Wow. That's a light bulb for me too. Nice, man. Love it. And then I'm noticing through this journey, my downs are getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And I haven't. I haven't been embracing the downs and seeing it as a repetition, but I do notice that it gets shorter and shorter because I come up with systems. Every time I have, for example, yesterday, I didn't get much done. And then I wrote down, okay, apply my preventions. So I woke up this morning, I uninstalled any social medias I reinstalled on my phone, um, put on my sort of blockers, reminded myself that I should go ahead and take the breaks as scheduled i should not bring my phone into the shower at night because then i'll end up using it after i shower and bring it into my bed so i'm applying all these things i've known that taken me off path so now i'm able to realign at a much faster pace and it's only going to get faster and faster just like meditation you're going to be able to pull yourself back to center more and more often and it's going to be easier and easier and you're going to be out of focus for shorter and shorter and shorter exactly I mean, it's, I love, I love the idea of the repetition. I, I, I like the Tim Ferriss thing. I mean, that's because that's the, the quintessential, I think, way to explain meditation to someone who is new to it is explaining that all you need to do is whenever you're thinking and then you realize you're thinking and bring yourself back, that's one, that's one bicep curl. That's one mental bicep curl. And then people go, oh, wait, okay. So the, the point isn't to like not think, it's to just catch myself thinking as many times as possible. You're like, yeah. And then what happens is over that process, over three or four weeks of doing that, you realize that 
slowly you're catching yourself more and more, but then there becomes this inflection point where you stop catching yourself thinking more because you've actually stopped thinking as much. And like that whole process of being more and more present and and catching yourself more and more has actually naturally stopped the process of thought happening so frequently. And so it's like kind of this weird bell curve where it's like you catch yourself thinking, you catch yourself thinking so, so, so much. And then all of a sudden it starts dropping off. I love, anyway, that was just a random thing. I loved the way that you took that and made it the repetition of remembering to surrender because that's essentially what you said it was like every time you realize you're getting caught up in your materialistic stuff or your your non-spiritual ego stuff it's like boom repetition bring yourself back like that's something that i'm gonna start to implement because i never thought of the idea of surrender like the idea of catching yourself thinking it's like catching yourself in ego and then going what come back that's pretty cool. I love that. Oh, that, was, that was awesome. That just blew my mind, man. And I didn't think of that until just it, talking to you. So thanks to you, you, you've sort of lit it up on my brain. That's all good. But yeah, this has been like an, an amazing conversation, Mike. Um, I really appreciate just talking to you over the last hour. Hopefully other people appreciate this conversation. As we went deeper, I was like, okay, for sure. I, I definitely want to use this. Uh, and yeah, I, I really appreciate your insight. I absolutely love this chat, Andy. Like, thanks for, I don't know, like this was, everyone listening, this was like still listening, well done. This was supposed to be a chat about e-commerce. And then we just started talking about meditation. We're like, let's record this. This is totally impromptu. I love it. I love it. I had a great time. That was great. Um, see you for soon, bro. <laughs> uh, yeah hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode um if you guys did let me know um i'll drop mike's details in the description below and yeah thank you so much for listening guys peace, peace out guys